I think the key over the next months, is, as I mentioned, I think is whether CPI could start leveling off. Inflation, from my point of view, is the only metric that should matter at this point. Once that's under control, that essentially paves the way for central banks to become less hawkish, and then we're off to the races. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. Last week, U.S. inflation numbers came in higher than expected, causing the S&P 500 to officially enter bear market territory. In today's episode, portfolio managers Alfred Lee, Chris McKinney, and your host Mark Rays discuss potential catalysts for a stock market rebound, as well as bond yields, low volatility strategies, fintech, and gold equities. Before we hear from the team, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit the new and approved Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. Hello, and welcome to our BMO ETF weekly insight call with our team of experts. I'm today's host, Mark Rays, head of product for BMO Global Asset Management. I'd like to thank everyone for listening in today. We certainly appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us. Today, we have Alfred Lee and Chris McKinney on from our portfolio management desk to answer all our questions. So thanks to both Chris and Alfred for joining us. Thanks, Mark. Mark. Thank you. Well, let's get right into things now. Once again, lots to talk about. We're now in a bear market based on the S&P 500 with our own ZSP off about 19% and SBY off about 21%, and that's in U.S. dollars. What has triggered the further downside that we've seen of late, and what could be a catalyst to turn performance around? Thanks. Yeah, so it's definitely been a very challenging market for U.S. equities in particular. Year-to-date, you know, equity markets are down, especially uh, U.S. equities, as I mentioned. But that sell-off definitely intensified last Friday, and I think the trigger or the cause of that was definitely you know, the U.S. CPI print uh, coming out last Friday. The market was expecting a CPI print of 8.3%, and we got a print of 8.6%, so definitely more than the market was anticipating. But, you know, I I think the way the market is reading is that as we continue to move down, inflation is still not under control at this point. And and essentially, the Fed needs to get even more aggressive in order to potentially or try to contain inflation. So prior to that CPI print, the market was anticipating that we were going to get a 50 basis point rate hike by the FOMC today. Now the market is anticipating essentially a 95% chance that we're going to get a 75 basis point rate hike. Uh, we'll find out shortly at 2 p.m. later today. But as we stated in, in past podcasts and over the last couple of months, I think this bear market is going to be very different than 2008 and 2020. In the past, the Fed and other central banks, for that matter, could essentially step in and stimulate the market by lowering rates or doing you know, accommodative uh, measures such as quantitative easing and operation twist. Now, however, because inflation is primary concern, The Fed can't simply just ease monetary conditions, as that would effectively be throwing more gasoline into the fire at this point. So I think first and foremost, you know, the Fed and the Bank of Canada, for that matter, need to get inflation under control before the markets can move higher. 
I think if inflation can be tamed, I think essentially the central banks could essentially move back to becoming less hawkish. So I think the key catalyst for the markets to turn around at this point, you know, as I've been saying all along, is that we don't need the Fed to become doves all of a sudden. We just need them to become less hawkish at this point. And for that to happen, we essentially need to see, you know, inflation measures like CPI essentially level off. I think if the Fed and the Bank of Canada could, could get back to a point where they could, you know, move rates up by more smaller increments, so the standard 25 basis point rate hike, and for the market to be confident that inflation is under control, I think that's going to be enough to get the stock market going and also to get the bond market kickstarted as well. Um, you know, when I look at the CPI print that came out last Friday, it did come in higher than expectations, but I think the silver lining is that. You know, it came in a little bit higher than the month prior to that. So I think over the next couple of months, you know, if inflation or CPI could show that it's leveling off, I think that's going to be a positive for the market. You know, keep in mind, we've been saying for quite some time now that as we move away from lockdowns, demand is going to come back online faster than supply can. So it's not surprising that we're going to see, you know, higher inflation over the next couple of months and not only higher inflation, but inflation to be pretty resilient as well. But I think the hope as we move away from lockdowns, is going to be, you know, supply will eventually catch up. I think that's that's the, um, you know, best case scenario. That's potentially what the market uh, potentially wants at this point. But I think the key over the next months, is, as as I mentioned, I think is whether CPI could start leveling off. Inflation, from my point of view, is the only metric that should matter at this point. Once that's under control, that essentially paves the way for central banks to become less hawkish, and then we're off to the races. But in terms of your portfolio, I think, you know, staying invested, I think, is, is very important. Historically, it's been very difficult to time the market and having exposure to, you know, the key building blocks, whether it's ZCN, ZSP, ZEA, having that cheap exposure to beta, you know, over the long term, if you're looking, you know, further out five to 10 years, ultimately proves to be the correct decision over the long term. Great. Thanks for that update. And certainly inflation is driving a lot of the market activity right now. So if we look to the other side of the portfolio, we're seeing a spike in bond yields as well. So we're not getting that protection we usually hope for from fixed income when equity markets get choppy. Certainly the government of Canada 10-year bond, uh, watching that one spiking up over 3.5%, which is up over 2% uh, so far this year. So we know that inflation is dominating the bond market. Um, but it doesn't appear that fears of an economic downturn are impacting the market in the same way, uh, really creating a challenge for balanced portfolios. Can you comment on potential drivers in the fixed income market? Thanks. Similar to the equity market, I think it's it's really inflation that's dragging on the bond market as well right now. Typically, you're right, you know, when we head into a recession or an economic slowdown, the usual is that expectations are that you know, central banks and the Fed will lower rates in order to stimulate the economy. You know, as I stated earlier, um, because inflation is the primary concern right now, central banks really don't have that option. But you know, when you look at the bond yields, um, you know, they certainly moved um, quite a bit year to date. Not only year to date, however, when you look at so far this month, when you look at the 10-year bond yield, for example, it's already up 65 basis points and we're only halfway through June. Um, so that's definitely put a lot of pressure on the bond market. When you look at, you know, the aggregate bond ETFs so of ZAG, for example, that's down 14% year to date. Uh, but when you look at, you know, the yield curve right now, whether you're looking at the fives, the tens, the twenties, 
they're all yielding about 3.5% right now. So you're not really being rewarded for taking on term risk right now. So I think, you know, when you are putting on putting together that balanced portfolio on the fixed income side of the portfolio, I think it definitely makes sense to, you know, shorten up duration for part of your portfolio, um, especially because, you know, you're not being compensated for taking on term risk. But also when you're looking at short-term yields, it's a lot higher than what we got a year ago as well. So when you look at things like, you know, our short corporate bond ETFs, ZCS, yield to maturity is 4.1%, duration is 2.8%. Uh, ZBI, which we talk about often on this call, which is our Canadian bank income ETF, that's up, or the yield to maturity on that is, is 4.5%, duration is 25 Um, So I think it definitely makes sense to change some of your core bond allocation um, to things like ZCS or ZBI in order to manage that interest rate risk. So if interest rates keep going up, you know, because that's shorter duration, and in, in the case of ZBI, having that exposure to you know things that reset to a higher interest rate, I think is going to go a long way in terms of manage, managing that interest rate risk in your in your portfolio. But on top of that, I think when you look at a balanced portfolio, I think having having you know some exposure to cash. I know I said earlier, you know, staying invested is is your best decision. Um, but I think having a small allocation you know, exposure to, you know, three to 5% of your portfolio in ZMMK, which is our uh, money market ETF. I think that's going to go a long way in not just improving the efficiency of your portfolio, but also being able to have some dry powder in your portfolio to take advantage of the sell-offs. You know, as the market continues to move lower here, having a little bit of dry powder to take advantage of things that are trading cheap. So things like Canadian banks, ZEB or equal weight bank ETF, you know, that when you look at the PE ratio on that, um, you know, it's trading cheap relative to the broader Canadian market. And and also, you know, on the topic of lower valuations, U.S. value has been performing very well over the last couple of years. In a low growth environment, value typically performs well. So I think those are some key things that you could do into in uh, a fixed income portfolio. You know, I, I kind of turned the fixed income question into an equity answer, but um, you did ask about a balanced portfolio, but I think those are some key things you could do uh, in the fixed income portfolio and also a balanced portfolio as well. All right. Thanks, Alfred. Certainly some challenges out there right now. For a deeper dive into Canada's big six banks, including an expert outlook for the financial sector and insights into how banks weather uncertainty, listen to the Q2 Canadian Bank Earnings Podcast. It's available now in this same Views from the Desk podcast series, episode 131. And to learn why now may be a tactical opportunity to add exposure to Canadian banks, check out BMO GAM's latest trade opportunity, available on the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. One thing that's holding up relatively well is low volatility. I look at our U.S. low vols at OU, it's up only 3.5% year-to-date. So what names are holding up in the portfolio? And as you look backwards, let's also look forward. And how does low vol respond if and when markets start to bounce back? Thanks. Thanks, Mark. And as you say, you know, low volatility really, um, you know, proving itself in 2022 so far. Not just in U.S., but you know when we look in Canada as well, with ZLB outperforming to the downside here, and you know although Canada hasn't been as down as other global markets, uh, you know ZLB still providing protection there. Uh, ZLI in uh, international markets as well, providing a little bit of protection to the downside. But 
nowhere um, to the same degree as what we're seeing in the U.S. with ZLU. As you mentioned, you know, down just about, let's call it 4% when the market is down, you know, 19 or 20, uh, as you mentioned off the top. So providing a lot of protection to the downside uh, in the U.S. And the good thing from a portfolio construction standpoint, though, is, uh, you know, when you take a look at what's been driving this, it really is across the board, um, you know, essentially everything helping out uh, this portfolio. So first of all, you can take a look at just the sectors that low volatility tends to be uh, invested in either uh, overweight or even underweight. So things like consumer staples, uh, you know, more steady as she goes uh, type of companies uh, that all you overweight there, and, and that sector's done pretty well year to date. Um, same as utilities, a more conservative type sector that uh, low vol portfolios tend to have uh, an overweight or, or higher exposure to has done well and, and kept up uh, here year to date as well. And then also being underweight, uh, the technology sector, which has been obviously selling up very strongly here in, in 2022, you know, the growthier, more growthy oriented sectors, um, you know, really leading the way on the way down and, and that'll use underexposed there. So, you know, from a sector perspective where low volatility tends to be invested, all of those sectors are, are working um, as you would expect um, in a risk off environment, but also within uh, you know, some of the other sectors, the stocks that we do have exposure to. So when you take a look at the consumer discretionary sector, for example, um, you know, you would think of uh, stocks that are a little bit more risky and a little bit more exposed to the economic cycle. Uh, but within there, there's still some more conservative names. And I'm thinking like Dollar Tree and Dollar General, you know, those dollar store type uh, of, of retailers um, that, that cater to the lower end of the market have done very, very well also. Um, even in financials, you know, having exposure to the insurers, uh, progressive and travelers, which have, have held up fairly well relative to other financials as well. Um, and in the industrial space, you know, ZLU is not overweight or underweight industrials really, but having exposure to some of those defense names like Lockheed Martin, you know, there's a little bit of a tailwind from the Ukrainian war there. Um, but defense companies, you know, again, Generally, uh, at least when it comes to industrials, a bit more steady as she goes. You know, you can count on defense spending sort of year in and year out, whereas other industrials might be a little bit more levered to the economic cycle. So, um, you know, having exposure to those companies that aren't as affected uh, by the economic cycle uh, has worked out there as well. So I think it's really, you know, really, again, across the board in terms of what's been working in ZLU, and that's really what's led to a very strong outperformance. Um, but I think continued going forward, you know, having exposure to, um, you know, again, those consumer staple type companies. Um, I'm looking at Kroger, for example, the grocer, Campbell Soup, Kellogg's, Hershey's, these sort of stocks are, uh, again, I wouldn't say immune to the uh, economic cycle, but certainly um, less sensitive to what's going on in the economy, you know, whether that's CPI um, and inflation getting out of control, you know, these companies have a little bit more pricing power. Um, and can pass that through uh, as expenses do rise, but also if the economic cycle starts to slow down, if we start to see um, consumers, you know, spending less because they're spending more on things like energy and food, um, you know, those areas are still going to get, um, you know, consumers coming back uh, over and over again. So that's what's been working with low volatility in terms of, you know, how does that respond if markets bounce back? And I think, you know, for investors that are in this area, they're there for the characteristics that we're seeing right now, that downside protection, 
um, that less risky exposure to to the uh, economic growth and to stock market growth. And so, you know, on the way up, you know, we're not expecting as much growth potential uh, out of these sort of stocks. And again, it's you know, looking at those steady as she goes type companies, um, those consumer staples, those grocers, um, you know, they're they're not going to have huge growth potential um, if markets all of a sudden take off and shoot up 20%. You know, this fund will certainly capture some of that, but I think the benefit uh, of this portfolio and the value add is what we're seeing right now on the, on the downside, protecting on the downside. And therefore, when markets do rally uh, or do bounce back, uh, you know, this type of fund will have less to go in order to get back to zero, uh, whereas some of those growth portfolios, although they're down 20, might need to be up 40 in order to get back to where they started. And so, um, you know, the math working on the side of low volatility here, uh, protect on the downside, you don't need as much of that growth potential when markets rally. Great. Thanks for that update, Chris. Now, let's touch on an area of the market that we haven't spent too much time on which is the whole crypto space. And certainly that's been in the news alongside the challenges for growth stocks. Certainly crypto has really taken it on the chin, particularly in the last few weeks, uh, watching Bitcoin come down around 30%. Now, we don't have a Bitcoin product. However, we do have our ZFIN, our financial innovation ETF. So can you comment on how that ETF has been performing uh, but as well, what's in that portfolio and what is it really exposed to? Certainly, and really, you know, ZFIN, our, our FinTech Innovation ETF, you know, to no surprise, very similar to other growth-oriented uh, stocks and portfolios, taking it on the chin a little bit, um, so to speak, here so far in, in 2022. And I think, you know, what's really happening here is these growth-oriented stocks and growth-oriented portfolios, <coughs> excuse me, it's not the growth potential that's really changed. It's the pricing of that growth in, in today's dollars. And because inflation um, is so much higher, rates are so much higher, you know, we're in an environment where cash is king and companies that make money and are cash generative today um, are going to benefit more so than companies that have growth potential out into the future. And so, you know, for investors that look at the fintech space and that mega trend, as we call it, that will play out over the long term, you know, that thesis hasn't really changed so far here in 2022. What's changed is just, again, the present value of that thesis and, um, you know, not necessarily the growth potential, but the value that's placed on that growth uh, here in 2022 with rates being much higher uh, than they were before. So, you know, if you take a look at the type of companies that are in this space, it's not necessarily the crypto miners. It's not necessarily those that have exposure to Bitcoin. It's really, um, you know, companies that are using technology and applying it to the financial industry um, that's really going to redefine how, you know, many things, how, how company or how individuals interact with their banks and with their money and with those financial services providers, how they interact with companies and, and pay for goods and services and how those companies, um, you know, interact with their customers as well. So from both sides of it um, and then also from business to business as well. So there's really a whole lot of plumbing that's, being rewritten, so to speak, in this space. And you have a lot of larger type companies, not necessarily just small growth type companies, but a lot of larger companies in there as well. Um, you know, the payment providers like Visa and MasterCard um, are, are in this portfolio. Apple as well. And we saw some recent announcements from Apple pushing further into the financial services space with their uh, buy now, pay later uh, sort of service. 
uh, mimicking what what a lot of other fintechs are already doing out in the market. Um, so Apple pushing even further in that space. Um, and then we have some Hong Kong uh, listed names like Alibaba and Tencent as well, Pinduo Duo, uh, PayPal back here uh, in North America as well. So you know these aren't just companies that are dedicated to, to Bitcoin and, and making sure that you know they can take and receive payments in Bitcoin, but it's really about providing all the benefits, all the options to not just, again, consumers, but also businesses as well, and how they want to interact with their consumers and how they want to interact with each other. So, you know, this space really is still what it was uh, expected to be. Again, it's just the, the, the present value of that growth potential has, has taken a little bit of a hit here so far in 2022. And so really that causes valuations to be a lot more reasonable for investors that are looking at this space and have thought about getting into it. Um, you know, that was very expensive previously coming into this year. PE is very, very high. Um, you know, all of a sudden have, have become a lot more reasonable now. And again, there's a lot of larger companies in this portfolio. You know, there's actually over 250 stocks. So it's quite a broad portfolio. But, you know, the larger weights, the larger names um, are, are very, very well-known names. And so it's not just a pure speculative play here. It is a longer-term trend that um, is still intact and is still expected to grow. Um, again, it's just uh, based the, the valuation of that growth um, has changed here in 2022. And so we think it's actually a, a pretty interesting moment to take a look. And if you believe in that mega trend, if you believe in that growth potential and how that's going to sort of transform the financial industry, um, certainly an interesting time to take a look at uh, a portfolio like this one. Great. Thanks for that update, Chris. And good to understand what's driving some of the exposures in that portfolio. Does market volatility have you wondering where to go to ride out the storm? Not all cash equivalents are created equal, and BMO's money market and ultra-short-term bond ETFs offer several high-quality options to park client cash. To learn more, visit BMOETFs.ca and search for tickers ZMMK, ZST, and ZUS, or read our latest product insights. And one more advisor question that's come in this week. Uh, I'd like to get your views on gold equities moving forward with our own ZGD. We certainly see gold staying relatively stable in the low 1800s per ounce. Uh, but then we've got, of course, inflation running high. So if you look at this portfolio, do you see compressed value or is your expectation that market risk from being uh, gold mining companies will be the primary consideration for the next stretch? Thanks. Yeah, and as you say, you know, gold really staying relatively high here at 1800. Um, you know, there's been a lot of uh, watchers of gold and thinking, you know, gold should be rallying significantly here because of inflation, because of runaway inflation. That's generally what gold does well. And, you know, we haven't seen that necessarily. We, we did see a spike earlier this year, but it came back fairly quickly. Uh, but if you look over the long term, you know, gold is still um, pretty much near its all-time high. And, you know, in particular, the fact that gold is hanging in at the $1,800 level right now um, is, is even more impressive when you take into account how strong the U.S. dollar is at the same time. Obviously, gold being priced in U.S. dollars globally. You know, typically, gold does well in periods when the U.S. dollar is not doing as well, and, and it almost acts as a global exchange rate. But if you take a look at the DXY index, and that's 
um, the U.S. dollar's value relative to a trade-weighted basket of, of other currencies. You know, think about the euro and yen, you know, weighted based on how the U.S. trades with them. Uh, we're at about a 20-year high uh, on the DXY index. That means relative to most global currencies or the larger global currencies, uh, the U.S. dollar is expensive as it's been in the last 20 years or so. So when you, when you convert the gold price, um, you know, using that sort of exchange rate, we are looking at all-time highs um, in gold right now. And so, you know, I think investors have come back to gold as that inflation hedge. You know, there was some question of if Bitcoin would be able to take that mantle or act in a similar way. You know, as we were just talking about, we have not seen that actually happen uh, here in 2022, but gold staying persistently high. Um, and again, especially when you convert that to, to global dollars, so to speak. Um, and so, you know, taking a look at gold equities, we've always said that gold equities provide a little bit more torque to that gold price uh, because you have companies that have operating leverage to that gold price. And we did see earlier this year that GD doing very, very well. It was up about 25% um, in mid-April or so. But we have seen those stocks sell off with the rest of the market. And so that's kind of the double-edged sword with gold equities is that you get that leverage exposure and that potential outperformance versus just the gold price, but then you also have that equity risk premium and just the equity um, risk in general associated with those. And so in a risk-off type of environment, it's possible that those gold equities get sold off as well. And that's what we've seen in the last month or two here. As sentiment changes and, and equities in general sell off, um, those gold equities have sold off uh, in concert with that. However, um, you know, we do think going forward, if there's a prolonged, um, you know, period where equities continue to, to trade downward, you know, we've seen this sort of repricing and we've seen interest rates move um, with equities coming down relative to that. Um, but going forward, there might be a little bit more differentiation as to which stocks continue to sell off again, if, if the market continues to go down and which kind of hold their own. Uh, you know, you're starting to see attractive valuations in certain pockets of the market, um, and gold is, is is no exception there with, again, prices maintaining a relatively high level. Um, you know, that's very, very strong for gold companies because they're, they have some certainty around the price they're going to get for the gold that they're mining and, and pulling out of the ground. Um, and again, that relatively high uh, levels right now. So um, we think that's bullish for, for gold stocks. And if you do start to see a differentiation um in the market in terms of what starts to perform. We think this sector could be one of those um, that does fairly well and does provide a little bit of growth potential uh, in the portfolio as one of those smaller sectors that um, does have some tailwinds uh, at, at, the, at the back here. So, um, you know, looking at, you know, we talked about low vol earlier, having uh, protection on the downside with less growth, growth, growth potential. You know, adding on a little bit of gold exposure actually might make a little bit of sense there where you do have some potential upside exposure um, and still a lower correlation to what else is going on in the market, even though these are gold equities um, and have some correlation to the rest of the market. Um, it's generally a lower correlation than, than what you would see from uh, from other sectors. And so gold definitely, um, you know, again, with the, with the sell-off we've seen over the last month or two, starting to look a, a lot more attractive. And especially with the gold price staying uh, where it is, 1800 plus, we think that's actually a, a bullish news for, for those gold equities and gold miners. Great. Thanks for that update, Chris. Certainly a lot of interest in the gold space where, again, as you mentioned, 
uh, with inflation running high, certainly people expecting gold to, to move higher and what that might mean for the global uh, gold equities. So with that, that is all the questions we have for today. So I want to thank everyone for listening in. Once again, we really appreciate your time. Thanks to both Chris and Alfred. Some great updates. Uh, certainly a challenging period in market. So good to hear different ideas about how we can reposition uh, portfolios around that market volatility. And with that, just want to wish everyone a great day. And thanks once again for listening in. Thank you to Mark Rays, Alfred Lee, and Chris McKinney for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, we heard about the BMO Money Market Fund ETF series, ticker ZMMK, which may improve portfolio efficiency and enable investors to capitalize on lower stock valuations caused by recent sell-offs. Our experts also discussed the BMO MSCI Fintech Innovation Index ETF, ticker ZFIN, Z-F-I-N, which offers access to technological megatrends in the financial services industry. For more information about the ETFs discussed in this podcast, check out the episode notes, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or visit the new and improved Canadian ETF dashboard at BMOETFs.ca. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.